Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, depending on when you've tuned into this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. If you're on YouTube, Vimeo, or one of the other video platforms, then you can already see my guest on screen. If you're just on a podcast, I will be introducing her in a moment, and you can always then go and see what she looks like on her website. The details of which, as always, will be below this video or below the speaker uh, symbol that you see on your favourite audio podcast uh, outlet. This week to the show, I'm about to welcome you to a lady who's coming to us all the way from New Orleans. Uh, she, two of her websites, there may be more, we will find out, which you'll find below this video and uh, speaker symbol are hauntedhistorytours.com and kalilasmith.com. Don't worry about spelling. The link's there for you. Nice and easy to click on. She's an international psychic medium, paranormal investigator, author and lecturer. Um, she's published a number of books. Um, I'll let her tell you more about them shortly, but including uh, New Orleans Ghost, Voodoo and Vampires, Tales from the French Quarter, Miami's Dark Tales, Afterlife Mysteries Revealed, um, Seance Experiments uh, and a few others as well. We're going to be talking about them and uh, the other kinds of things that she does. So please welcome to the show, all the way from New Orleans, uh, Kalila Smith. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for agreeing. Um, I'm, I mean, I reached out to uh, a mutual friend and colleague of ours, Billy Roberts. And right. He's mega busy, and he said, you know who you really need to speak to? Kalila. Uh, That's hence, wonderful. Hence, you were contacted. So I, I warn you right up front at the start, as I do everybody, sometimes I play devil's advocate. That's just so that oh, I then no, ask no, you should. what the viewer or listener might be thinking. It does not sure, necessarily right. mean doesn't necessarily mean that reflects my views as time goes I'll clarify when things are definitely my view and tell you so that there's no confusion so look there was a point when you weren't known as Khalil Smith uh, the psychic medium the author the paranormal investigator there was a point when you were you know didn't work in that field your life was somewhere else before what was your journey that brought you to where you are brought you into this well, I always saw spirits as a child okay. and growing up, I, I mean, I, I, my first recollection, I remember sitting on my mother's lap and I was, just, I was sitting, I was sitting up, but I was still drinking a bottle and I was still being rocked. So I, I was mighty young and I remember seeing faces in the window and it looked like faces of little children with masks on. But the thing is, I lived in a raised house, so there's no one could have reached the windows. It was impossible for someone to be out there. So long story short, I really was terrified as a child because I would see things at night. I'd get up to go to the bathroom. I'd see things walking down the hall. I'd see people in my room. So I spent most of my childhood trying to escape that because uh, I came from a very Catholic family. My mother was extremely Catholic. And I told her about these things. And her response, of course, was, well, that's because you've been bad and the devil is coming to get you. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so by the time I'm, you know, seven, eight years old, I'm going to confession and it's like, okay, you know, I think I better just stop mentioning that I see these things. And then, of course, uh, when I got a little bit older, teenage years, I was involved with, you know, life 
And then in my 20s, involved with, you know, getting married, having children. And I noticed, though, through the years that I thought it was the house that I grew up in. And I noticed that as I got older and got on my own, the things still followed me. And I realized it's not the house. It wasn't the house. It's me. It's, it's me. It's happening to me. And when I got into my 30s, I actually studied to be a massage therapist. And I studied naturopathic healing and so forth. Um, but I had um, gotten remarried by then. And my husband at the time decided, he says, we need a business that it's going to be able, we can, something we can do into our old age. And he created Haunted History Tours in New Orleans. Uh. And, um, you know, I love the idea. Uh, we both are from here. It was stories we grew up with. And, you know, at first I was de doing my own thing, doing massage and so forth. And it just started getting so busy. He said, um, I really need to either hire a manager or you're going to have to close your business and come and work for me. And so I did that. I started, I took over the uh, working uh, as manager of the business. And when I got involved with it, I was like, okay, so we're saying this is haunted. We're reciting this story that we've heard our whole lives. How do we know it's true? I can go to the archives and I can see that the history is true. How do we know the ghost stories? So I started knocking on doors of businesses and people's homes just saying, look, we're, we're doing a tour. How do we know? What are you experiencing? And nine times out of 10, they would be like, come on in. Let me tell you about it. And this was back in 1995. So there was... No, we, we, we were just getting, I think I had my first computer by then, and I had dial-up AOL. So there was not a whole lot of internet out there. There was no television shows on the paranormal. There was really very little researching. So I just started finding anyone I could, by word of mouth, to ask them, you know, what's the best route to do? Now, back then, there wasn't all, I think I bought my first EMF meter in 1996 from a guy, I think, up in Minnesota who made them. And I think I spent $300 on it. It was, it was insane. And I went to great lengths. I started out with, um, in fact, long before I became a, a mommy and working as a, a massage therapist, I was actually a photographer. So I was very familiar with photography. And I learned that sometimes you can capture phenomena on infrared film. So I went through very uh, huge expenses and great lengths to get black and white infrared film. And you had to buy it at a certain store. It had to be refrigerated. You couldn't put it in the camera if there was any light in the room. So you had to put your hands in one of these black bags to even change the film. And I would take hundreds of pictures. And maybe every now and then, one picture would be one you could look at and you went, wait, what's that? And the first one I got, um, we had stayed in a, um, one of the hotels in the French Quarter. It was called the Plaza Arms. And as the story goes, it was supposedly the first schoolhouse in Louisiana. And they supposedly had a ghost of the first headmaster of the first school. Right. And the first ghost picture I got was in the garage of the Plasta Arms. And you see that the, it look, what looks like smoke, it's the ectoplasm. And in that, you see the figure of a man and it looks like he's got one of those French colonial hats on. And you could see that he had a big beard and they had always called him the bearded man. And it was like, I got a ghost. I think I have a ghost. So that's what started it all. 
And then it kind of progressed from there. Uh, eventually, I had enough files. Um, you know, the old term, uh, you could write a book. I've got so much stuff, I could write a book. Well, I did. I wrote New Orleans, Ghost, Voodoo, and Vampires. And from there, we attracted the attention. Because there was no, there were no ghost tours all over the country. There was nothing. You know, so we attracted the attention of the Travel Channel. And the uh -huh. Travel Channel came, and they took a tour, and they did some filming of me in the cemetery. And um, the... The, the lady that had been sent down from L.A., from Los Angeles, said, you know, it's too bad you're not going to be in L.A. when we show this, when we show your footage on the show. And I said, well, if you fly me there, I'll be on the show. And they did. So, oh, okay. <laughs> and they did. They sent me a ticket and I flew to Los Angeles, to, to Hollywood, and I did the show. And it just took off from there. Excellent. Um, now, what particularly, um, yeah, we will talk ghost and all things psychic, but I'm just going to jump on the word voodoo, particularly um, interest, because I always relate to my um, students of hypnotherapy and stuff that hypnotherapy and things of that ilk, you can become better at when you study things like what the voodoo priests do and the rituals because there is so much inbuilt suggestion through through the focus and, and importance that's going on um did, I, 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 i've not i've not been to new orleans but i have seen some stuff on tv there's there's actually people there that offer you can go to their houses and have voodoo rituals done isn't there i believe well there are some people who do public rituals, and I guess if you pay for a ritual, a voodoo ritual is actually quite involved. It's not just one person. It's not like, um, say, witchcraft or a Wicca, where you've got one person who can be a solitaire and they're doing their, their practice and, and so forth. But with voodoo, an actual ritual, you've got drummers, you've got a priestess, you've got uh, dancers, you've got snake dancers, you've got all of these things going on. So, it, and it gets very, very, um, to raise, the, what they're doing is they're raising the vibration, basically. Um, this is where I first really started honing into mediumship a lot uh, and kind of embracing that because uh, one of the things in the voodoo ritual is that they are raising the vibration, the drumming, the chanting, the singing, and, and you're basically calling up the voodoo spirits uh, called the Loa. Now in voodoo, it is monotheistic, uh, so there is one God, the creator, but there's many intercessors called the Loa. And they are the ones who work with us on a day-to-day -day basis and help us in our, our lives. So when, when they're doing a voodoo ritual, they're calling up these energies. And um, so you've got to raise the vibration. And they do this through the drumming and the rituals and so forth. So that's basically what it is. But voodoo is a religion. It's a bona fide religion. What would you say, because there's some that would suggest and would be evidence to suggest that maybe that, that isn't really what's going on, but that's what people are led to believe. And that really the drumming and chanting uh, and all this is actually helping. Well, you could argue to, you know, change frequencies, but is actually helping to put somebody into a trance state as, as music and rhythms can do to then allow... Um, 
direct access and communication to the unconscious, subconscious, or even the universal consciousness, maybe as far as what some people term the Akashic records, or other people just term it as being universal consciousness, and that maybe it's just a metaphoric way of getting access and bypass of all the, you know, bypassing the critical faculty of the brain. Uh, actually, in rituals, many people do go into a trance. Not everyone will go into a trance. Um, but again, it revolves around communication with spirit world. And in the voodoo belief, spirit world is not somewhere way over there. It's parallel to our, our, our there's our spirits all, all around us. So we're constantly talking to spirits, working with spirits. And during these rituals, yes, a lot of people will go into trance and deliver messages from spirits like a medium. Um, some people will go into trance and um, it's something called getting ridden by the loa, where they actually take over the individual and they, some people would call it a possession. It's not really a possession. It's more of an overshadowing where the spirit will take over one of the uh, people. In, and it's not going to be just a random person attending a ritual. It would be the priestess or, or one of the, you know, people that are actually involved in the religion and the spirit would take over that person and their personality changes, their demeanor changes, their facial features change. Um, it, it's very interesting, but yes, it is also to put people into a trance state if that is what is meant to occur. We, it, it's all spirit decides those things. The individuals don't decide, Hey, I think I'm going to go into a trance, but yes, it can put, it can, uh, in induce a trance state absolutely okay i mean how how would that you just what, what you've just described uh the, the the kind of being overshadowed type thing sounds very akin to um trans mediumship yes it basically is mediumship they're talking in all the traditional African religions, they're talking to spirit. I mean, I've been in Voodoo and Santeria. And um, in Santeria, we have what's called the spiritual misas, where you actually go and you just sit with spirit and people giving messages. This, this mediumship is a very big part of these religions. Okay. Um, so, which, that's an interesting one, because obviously the whole Voodoo thing is far more shall we say, traceable in history than spiritualism is. Because spiritualism, yeah, I know there are roots, you could argue, in the Bible even and beyond, but kind of didn't become high profile until you got the likes of the Fox sisters. and Right, right, exactly. But voodoo, traceable for years and years and years and years before that. So do you think that spiritualism which itself is a recognized religion, kind of grew out of what is voodoo and all that kind of stuff? Well, many people who are in spiritualism um, really didn't have a lineage to voodoo. But what I find very interesting is that many of the things that go on in the traditional African religions, uh, you can actually find similar situations. For instance, um, in the voodoo religion, which came from the Western portion of Africa, many of the traditions, rituals, beliefs, folklore is very parallel 
to some of the Native American tribes. Now, when we're talking about people who hundreds of years ago were continents apart from one another, but yet there are parallels in the belief. And I think that in most religions, and I'm not going to say all because a lot of people would, you know, argue with me on that. But I think in most spiritual paths, um, I mean, many religions they're very parallel to one another. When you really start looking at them, for instance, uh, you know, with voodoo, you've got, you know, the seven African powers, you know, in Hindu, you have the seven chakra systems. Everything correlates to something else. You could take one path and say, okay, well, that's very similar to this. And in voodoo, that's really the belief because everywhere voodoo went in the new world, it, it took on other traditions, uh, with indigenous tribes, uh, even with Catholicism. So the voodoo we have specific in New Orleans is different from Haitian voodoo, which is different from African voodoo. If someone came from Africa and saw New Orleans voodoo, they wouldn't recognize it as voodoo. But in the in, in voodoo, the belief is we all believe the same things. There's just many different paths, many different names for things. So a lot of it, yes, it would be akin uh, to spiritualism. Absolutely, in, in that respect. But, um, I mean, you can be voodoo and be spiritualist. You can be voodoo and be Catholic. You can be voodoo and be Baptist. You can be voodoo and be Buddhist. Voodoo says, you know, voodoo is not one of these religions that says, okay, well, you're, you're voodoo, so now you can't believe anything else. Voodoo says we embrace everything. We embrace all religions. So whatever you add to it, it's, it, it, it only makes it better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I imagine the way, I mean, this, is, this I'm sure is very eye-opening for viewers and listeners because a lot of people maybe when they hear the phrase voodoo, will think of the cliched voodoo doll getting stuck with pins type uh, symbolism. <laughs> well, actually, actually, a lot of people would be surprised. See, in every religion, and regardless if it's voodoo or, or others, every one of these religions, there is a mystical or magical side. You have the religion and then you have the magic. You can practice the religion and never, ever cast a spell. You can do the spell work and never, ever practice the religion. But interestingly enough, the voodoo doll is not associated with the religion of voodoo. Um, there's something, a slang that was used for the magic in New Orleans called hoodoo. And that was actually a combination of the African magic because you had the Haitians with voodoo. And then a hundred years before them, you had the slaves coming over from the Congo region of Africa, which practiced a similar religion. You also had the Native American magic. And it's heavy laden in European sympathetic magic. I'm sure you've heard of a puppet. Mm -hmm. The voodoo doll is based on the European puppet. Right. And it's sympathetic ma yes, it's sympathetic magic. So in meaning that you would, if you can't do work on a specific person, say a person needs a healing and, you know, back, especially back in the old days when transportation was not like it is today, you, sometimes it would take days to get to see someone. So they what spiritualism calls distant healing? Correct. But they would use something to represent the person receiving the healing. Okay. And, but instead of being a poppet that looked like a European poppet, you have to realize New Orleans, they might be using sticks. They might be using cloths. They might be using pieces of moss from the, the swamp. It might look a little different, but the principle is the same. You are making something that represents 
that person. So you might pin something to it, an article of clothing, um, a photograph, uh, you know, a lock of hair, something personal to that person. You pin that to the doll and it represents that person in the hopes that whatever's done to the doll transfers the other to the individual. So, um, you know, now the pin thing, you know, a pin to the heart could be to heal a broken heart. Not give somebody a heart attack. <laughs> That's Hollywood. You know, a pin to the head. So it's actually to... meant, it's actually meant, we see it in films as being to cause harm, but it's actually meant That's Hollywood. to be healing. Right. I mean, a pin to the heart might be symbolically to heal a broken heart. You know, pin yeah. to the head might be to heal headaches, or it could be to heal negative thinking, to heal bad dreams, not give somebody an aneurysm. I mean nobody's going to have that kind of control over somebody else. You can't just jab a pin in the doll and maim and kill somebody. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. That's Hollywood. And um, they are called voodoo dolls because we they were used a lot in New Orleans and in the um, the magical end of things. But actually in, in Haiti and Africa, they didn't use dolls. So slight oxymoron, so to speak, uh, or paradox is probably a better word. That on the one hand, you just said that you can't, you know, cause harm in that fashion. But it's being used with positive intent for healing. Um, well, if it's feasible to use it for positive intent for healing at a distance, surely... That, by virtue, means that it's possible through negative intent to cause harm. It's just a different use it, of it, the it, energy. Well, in, in, in essence, yes, but not really, because usually in a healing, as with energy healing, with long-distance energy healing, whether it's Qigong, whether it's Reiki, uh, you know, whether it's you know, mediumship, what have you, is the important factor is the recipient is usually aware that they're receiving it and they are willing to receive it. Okay. In most long distance healing, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with every tradition, but I studied, um, I actually, when I was studying to be a, a body worker, I studied um, Asian body work and Asian um, healing, Qigong, Reiki, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, the rule was you can't, you can't somewhat send someone energy they are not willing to receive. Well, that's interesting because I was going to ask you playing devil's advocate and it really doesn't matter whether this is true or not what I'm going to ask because if, okay. if, if somebody ends up with a positive outcome and ends up feeling better what, what how does it matter how that happened it re really doesn't but just from a, a, a devil's advocate point of view I, in my experience and research it's exactly what you just said. The person needs to be aware that they're being sent healing from a distance, which arguably could mean that it's that knowledge that some things happening at a distance that helps trigger off the healing placebo effect in their mind and alter their state of mind to help them reconnect with their own natural mind-body healing because they feel that there is something being done at a distance pos positively for them. So what's your thoughts on it perhaps just being literally a placebo trigger? Well, I, yes and no. I mean, because to me it wouldn't be called a placebo thing. It's still positive. Um, or even if, if, if you, and, and actually I am also a, a, 
a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I did, I did get certified in that, but it's just like when you do hypnotherapy on someone and you help them, your power of suggestion helps them to better their life. It helps them to lose weight. It helps them to quit smoking. Hmm. It helps them to overcome a fear. It helps not, them to overcome. On all level, you know, I'm not saying power, it's a negative thing. Yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah, but um, I'm just saying it's not. It's not placebo per se, but any healer, no healer is actually healing the other individual. A healer does not heal anybody. You can't heal someone else. What you can do is, though, you can facilitate that person to, like you said, trigger their own healing process. And that's what the healer does. The healer is creating conditions in which that person becomes able to heal themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. That aligns with kind of thoughts that I had. Now, I'm going to go off on one slightly. It's just the way my brain goes. You obviously also, you know, you do, you do work as a medium, and that's obviously along the way how you got to know uh, Billy Roberts, who, who kind oh, of recommended yeah. that I contact you. Um, so I guess you'll be aware of Billy's book, Psychology of the Medium. Yes, I am. Yes. Now, he blatantly, there's one bit in there that I find incredibly honest, incredibly, incredibly honest, um, where he basically says that all mediums, and he says including the ones who are genuine, because he makes a definition, he goes in the book about, outright frauds, people who are deluded, people who are real. But he said all of them have times when they fall back on certain psychological tricks to help give more impact to a reading or for, with the positive intent of making the um, sitter, client, court, you know, whatever term you wish to use, feel better. So it's ultimately with positive intent it could just be they're having a bad day um give me some of your thoughts uh, on that because billy's book's basically saying that there's there's outright frauds which unquestionably well, there are, are. there's people who are, there there's are. people who, who who may effectively be fake and have no particular gift but have deluded themselves to thinking they are because they Absolutely. get lucky yeah. hits and they're unconsciously doing cold reading and, uh, and whatnot. And then there's people who are in the genuine category, is, is, is he buddy? But he, even, but he alludes to in the psychology of the medium, but even the people in the genuine category could have off or bad days and may use the odd, I'm going to use the word trick, but I don't mean it as a trick, you know, technique or psychological ploy to heighten things what's your thoughts on all that uh you know i think it depends on the individual but i mean even when you know and not so much in mediumship but when i'm doing like a psychic reading for instance when i'm doing a psychic reading, lots of times i will incorporate um you know like i'm certified as a gestalt therapist sometimes that will start coming through because that's what that person needs that person doesn't need this psychic message that person needs something that's going to trigger something in them to make them go aha you see, yes. but in mediumship, you know, there people, even mediums have bad days. Not everybody's going to be able to read everybody else. Not everybody's going to be in the zone. Somebody might have had a bad day and they're not getting that that connection that they want. 
and they may have to pull something else out of themselves to to make that connection. I think for me, that would be what it is uh, anyway, trying to just make the connection because once the medium makes the connection with the individual on the other side, it, it's it's automatic. You're just doing it by road at that point. You're just the, the medium's nothing but the tube. And that's the way it should be anyway. Uh, the mm-hmm. medium should have no intent. And, and Billy Roberts is, is one of the best mediums in the world, in my opinion. He and I are actually working on several books together. Um, yeah. And I'm very honored that he uh, invited me to do that. But, um, I mean, you know, he's one of the best. And But I think any medium, they have to, you have to be able to, number one, pull into your right side of your brain. But you have to use, you have a toolbox, you know, you have the, with, with anything. You know, as a hypnotherapist, you have a toolbox. You have, the, you know, these things that you have that you've learned, techniques and so forth. And you're going to tap into those things to do what you need to do. And it's the same with the medium. You know, sometimes it's also a communication problem. You know, the, the, the sitter's not getting what they want because they want something else. Or you have to also be able to pull, like I pull into my, you know, gestalt, I pull into the NLP. If I'm, you know, if I I realize I'm talking to somebody who's very visual, I'm going to give them messages that they can use their visual accessing. If I I notice that somebody's just very kinesthetic, I'm going to hit on that because it's just a method of communication. I'm not trying to to fool anyone, but I'm just going to communicate with them on a different level to access them to where they understand it. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Because obviously, if you're using their, um, as NLP would say, sensory representational system or VACOG, visual auditory kinesthetic olfactory gustory, for anyone right. who hasn't looked into NLP, um, to communicate with them, then it's going to have more emotional resonance to them. Right, right, exactly. But. Um, I think with any medium, there's some days that you just don't connect with someone. Uh, somebody else's spirit's not always going to connect to the medium. And no medium, if any medium says, I can I can tap into your grandmother or I can tap into, you know, Elvis Presley. It, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. The medium creates conditions and puts themselves into, you go into a mild, mild trance state, even if you're not doing trance mediumship, there is that click where you're, you're raising your vibration to the point where you're accessing to where you're allowing spirit to come through you. We don't pick who comes through. Maybe some, no one comes through, you know, maybe on that day, that particular person, especially if you're doing, um, you know, platform work, you know, everybody's not going to get a reading. Mm-hmm. But if you were most, most all mediums really are psychic as well. And you might pick up on someone that they're not, their loved one is not coming through, but you pick up on them that they have intense grief around them. And their grief is blocking their loved ones coming through to them. So the message for that person might be to start tapping into what's going on in their auric field and give those them those messages. You know, I don't consider that trickery because um, when I do that, I will tell someone I don't have a message for you. But here's what I'm picking up around you. And this might be why you're not getting messages right now. Mm-hmm. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That 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 that. that. Seems completely logical, which flicks into my head, reminds me of something you said before about the fact that uh, sometimes if you were doing a, a reading for somebody, you might suddenly flick in and think, you know what, they need 
really they need a bit more sort of guidance, counselling, advice, and switching to the gestalt therapy side of things, which are you trying to go off the top of my head? That's Fritz Pearls and right, I believe. Yeah, right, background. Exactly. If you were does it ever has it ever worked the other way around? You've it, it, the, the context has been that you're supposed to be doing a hypnotherapy session, say, but you then get a psychic vibe that it would be beneficial to the client to tell them something. Does it ever work the other way around for you? Sometimes, sometimes it does. Um, it, it, like I said, we don't pick and choose who comes through or when they come through. Um, I've had it happen when I'm doing psychic readings. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, uh, your grandmother's here. Somebody's here who's like a grandma or a mother, and I need to give a message to you. Or it could happen. Um, I, I would never interrupt it, but I, when I used to do body work, I could be doing a massage with somebody, and I would suddenly notice somebody's in the room, and you know, I would smell someone's perfume or something, and, and the person on the table doesn't know that this is going on. And I'm thinking to myself, well, somebody's here, but it's not appropriate for me to tell this person. But again, when you're telling people messages from their loved ones, it's people who are coming to you asking for it. You don't run up to random people on the street and start telling that you see it doesn't again it doesn't work that way the recipient has to be willing to receive it um you know it's not like the i don't know if you guys get the television show there used to be a television show about a medium here who would just run up to people in the in the, in the shopping center parking lot and say yeah. hey i've got a message for yeah i mean it, yeah no one no one really does that in real life i mean um it's got to be a a reciprocal thing it's got to be someone coming to you and can you do this for me because i'm having trouble you know hearing from my loved one and i'm hoping that you can connect to something that's an interesting one nobody really does that in real life it doesn't work like that i'm not saying i disagree with you but by virtue that is effective are you basically saying street psychic i think that show was called <laughs> uh, or at least the one we got here was called street psychic literally to stop people on the street and tell them tony stockwell was it I think. Tony Stark. Okay, I'm familiar with the name. Yeah. I think I think that's who did the street psychic thing. Certainly the UK version. Anyway, are you effectively saying then that was fake? What you were seeing on the TV show? No, I'm not saying like that, that it's fake. I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm I'm just saying that from an ethic perspective, to just walk up to a stranger and tell them maybe they're not ready to hear that message. Okay. Maybe. Maybe they're not going to be receptive to it. Maybe you're going to anger them. Maybe you're going to say, you know, if they're not ready to receive the message, you can't, you shouldn't go around just giving random messages to people right. because it's, you know, there has to be an agreement there. It's just like when you're doing therapy with someone, there are responsibilities. You have a responsibility to your client. You have a responsibility for their safety while you have them in a hypnotic trance to the suggestions that you're giving. I mean, you there's a certain level of ethics mm -hmm. that's also present with mediums, um, not only to the sitter, but to the spirit world. We're representing spirit world, and that might be that only message that this person gets. So you have to represent it well. And what I'm saying is it's inappropriate to just come up to someone and, you know, get in their face and say, I have a message to you from from on the other side what if they don't believe in that yeah. you know that's it, it's it's inappropriate let's put it that way i'm not saying it's fake but i'm saying 
it's inappropriate in crossing boundaries. Well, I that couldn't agree with you more on that. Cross, that should not be crossed. It's just inappropriate. It's a big difference in someone contacting me and saying, I'd like to set up a session with you because I'd like to see what you what you come up with. That's, that's a very different situation. It would be like you going up and giving hypnotic suggestions to someone who doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. Or, or when you're doing a hypnotic session, it, you, as well as you know, people who are resistant to it and they get there and they're going to fight it and not get. I mean, you, there's some people you can't hypnotize because they don't want to do it or they want to prove to you that you can't do it. And you're not going to have the same effect as someone who is coming to you sincerely wanting self-help and wanting to cooperate and allow themselves to be hypnotized and to receive the hypnotic suggestions. Yeah, makes sense. Which is brilliant because you're saying things, you're triggering off ideas and thoughts in my head. So that's absolutely fantastic. Um, which makes me ask, kind of, this is going kind of right back to the beginning. Again, I'm playing, I am playing devil's advocate here sure. to a degree. Um, you mentioned how you saw things when you were young. Now, there's two potential points of view here. That either A, that was purely all created by your imagination and still, still could be to this day, some might argue, um, and that you just didn't kind of grow out of the imaginary friend thing. Um, and then obviously there's the other angle that, yeah, it was actually spirits and that the so-called imaginary friends that kids have when they're younger are actually spirits, but they, due to normal society and conditioning, get conditioned out of it being normal to see them. So there's two total extremes there. Right, right. Um, what's your thoughts? I mean, that, and then there's obviously a midpoint as well, but I mean, you know. Well, in, in my case, and I think with most cases, I mean, I can't speak for other people, but most mediums did see things as children. And I, and I can tell you the things that I was seeing, I was not making friends with. They frightened me. They were not things that I would sit there and have a conversation with. I, I was terrified of it. Um, absolutely terrified. It was it was a horrible thing for me. I tried to escape it my whole life. I, when I hit 18, I moved 800 miles away to get away from it because I thought it was the house I grew up in. So, um, you know, it was certainly not imaginary friends because I knew the difference in what was a friend and what was frightening to me because it didn't seem normal. Yeah. Um, but also, um, I was I was going in another direction with that as well. Um, with reincarnation, there's been scientific studies done on young children mm-hmm. who have memories of a previous life, and they have validated this. And that's the other thing with mediumship: you're validating things. Nothing is real unless you validate it. If I give you a message and that message makes no sense for you, I give you no memory link. I give you nothing that you can say, yes, that is my loved one. I know that is. Then it doesn't matter what I say. You know, I might as well be reciting Mary had a little lamb because it doesn't matter because there's no validation. Mm-hmm. And with small children, it has been validated that some of these small children are actually coming into this life. And before the age of five, they are telling their parents, they're telling them stories of their life that they had before they lived when they lived before. 
and they're validating these things. Well, now I don't disagree with you because I have seen I've seen said research because I you know I have I've done past life regression over the years, but as I always explain at the start of my past life regression stage demos. My research has also shown, I'll leave it to the audience to decide, but there's evidence out there that, yeah, it's what you've just said, reincarnation, effectively. There's evidence out there that, um, depending on the age of the child at the time, that they could have unconsciously, subconsciously picked up things that were playing on the radio, TV or whatever, but that's a minority. And then there's a large body of evidence that they are relating things that genuinely took place. And things that took place in another time that can be validated. But they didn't actually experience it. That it's genetic cell memory that's carried on, that they're picking up on, you know, a great, great uncle or or something. And genetic cell memories brought it across. I mean, there's evidence for that as well. Well, wouldn't that be, though, if they're picking it up from an ancestor that they haven't met, that could be also viewed as mediumship? It could be argued by definition of the term, but if if you're saying it's coming through that memory, we have memories that store in our brain, but as if genetically some, we've ended up getting given to us some, I'm going to say memory cells, that's not how it's described, but just for the sake of metaphor and speaking from a great 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 uncle that we then are able to access i mean yeah all right we could argue let's take this in the other direction is that perhaps what's maybe going on with mediumship is that why it's not always possible to give a uh any information to everybody on demand because you may not necessarily have any genetic access to any particular filing genes or something? Well, I mean, again, you go back to validation. Um, Anytime that I've done readings for people, nine times out of ten, when I start tapping into someone, I don't go, oh, wow, look, it's their grandfather. Sometimes I will get a vision um, of something and it would be like, why, why did that pop in my head? That's silly. That's ridiculous. And, you know, but as a medium you're trained to, it doesn't matter. Say it, just say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something just outlandish. Um, I, I was doing, um, uh, we call it galleries. You call it platform. I was doing a gallery with a couple of different, uh, mediums uh, at a hotel a few years back. And I was uh, kind of new to the gallery work. And I walked out on stage and the first thing I saw was I kept seeing red roses, red roses, red roses on top of on a grave. Just somebody throwing red roses into a grave. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, that's all you got. That's all I'm seeing. Who didn't bring flowers to a funeral? Anybody. I I mean, you know, this is I, I, I get this impression. This is a man. He violently died. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Red roses, red roses, red roses. That's silly. Do I say that? And finally, I said, I have a man here and he keeps showing me red roses. He keeps showing me red roses on top of uh, 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 into a grave. And the woman in the front row burst into tears and she held her arm up like this. And right here, she had a large tattoo of a red rose here. And she Uh. said, when my husband passed away, I had I threw a hundred red roses into the grave before he was buried. And to me, that's validation. Mm-hmm. I have no way of knowing where that came from. 
I didn't know this woman. I had never met her before. I don't know her name. It's very random. And, you know, this, I know that spirit showed me that because how else would I have gotten it? And, and going back to the children thing, my, my youngest daughter um, had Down syndrome. So she always stayed like a child. And um, she passed away in 2013. But you talk about children with their imaginary friends. And I know that she had connections to things that were not just imaginary. Um, it, it, and I saw it in hindsight after she passed away. Um, she used to play video games. And she would, I'd hear her in her room, the door would be closed, and she'd be talking away, and she'd be talking to somebody. Sometimes she'd be even talking in a different language. She'd be talking in Spanish. And I'd knock on her door, and I'd say, uh, what are you doing? And she'd go, oh, nothing. And I said, who are you talking to? And she would say, nobody. And I'd say, well, okay. And I would pretend to walk away, and I'd still be listening by the door. And I'd hear her say, that was a close one. She almost saw you. Uh. And <laughs> yes, yes. And um, when she passed away, um, eight months before to the day, a very close friend of mine that I'd known for 20-something you know, years passed away. And she never met him. She didn't know who he was. Um, but I had put a picture of him on a table after he passed away because you know, I put like little altars to people and I put a picture there and I put a cup of coffee there for him every day. And, um, you know, she asked me, she just walks up to, usually she was kind of oblivious and stuff like that. And at that point she started telling me, I don't want to sleep in my bedroom. I want to sleep in the living room. Like, Why? What is up with this, with the, the sleeping in the living room? It's like, okay, you know what? If you want to sleep on the sofa, if you find, you know, when you, when your back hurts from sleeping on the sofa, you'll go back to sleep in your bed. Mm -hmm. And she it didn't occur to me that she was there because his altar was there. It didn't occur to me because they didn't know each other. And she asked me one day, she went to the picture and she said, who is he? And I, and I said, I told her, I said, that's my, my friend, uh, Gary. And she said, oh. And I said, that was Miss Leslie's brother. And, and ironically enough, she didn't know him, but she knew his sister, who was one of her teachers when she was young. She went, oh, Miss Leslie. And she says, well, he's really nice. I said, yes, he was. And it didn't occur to me why she was bringing it up. But shortly before she passed away, um, she was awake one night. I got up to go to the bathroom and I went to check on her. She wasn't in her room. And I hear her talking in the kitchen and the light is on. And she sat, was sitting at the kitchen uh, table and she was coloring. And she was just coloring away. And I walked up to her and I said, Stephanie, who are you talking to? And she looked at me with a very, very cold stare. And she says, you know his name. You know who he is. And I says, Stephanie, what are you talking about? And she says, don't pretend you don't know who he is. You know who he is. And he's right here. Say his name. You know who he is. I said, you're starting to scare me. And I said, just go back to bed. And she said, no. And shortly thereafter, she died. And it wasn't until much later that I got uh, a mediumship reading. And the medium who had never met before, she said she has someone traveling with her and they're together and much validation. Basically, I feel in, in hindsight that he was waiting for her, 
but I know she didn't make it up. Somebody was there. And when she said that, I just got a cold chill. And I was like, I said, you're really scaring me. And she said, well, he's here. And I think she was making it up. Well, so, there'd be no, no reason, would there? Yeah, there would be no, there's no, right. nothing to gain by making anything up exactly in that circumstance, which is, you know, there are circumstances where there are people who clearly potentially making loads of money because they're filling multi-thousand seat theatre venues. Heck, I will say it for fear of being sued. But, you know, you've got your likes of John Edwards whom, uh, and people of that kind of ilk. And in my opinion, the people who are massively, massively filling out multi-thousand seat venues and charging a bloody fortune for tickets. Well, at the very least, I don't think I can get sued for saying it does seem that the evidence points towards them are interested in uh, just exactly how much money they can make rather than... Um, Proving the validity of any alleged mediumship gift they may portray themselves to have. I word it that well, way. There are, well, you know, I there are people who are just in it for the money, but you know, I'm not. I mean, I have a day job. <laughs> you know, I, I barely do readings. Um, I write more than I do than I do readings, but um. You know, I think that most people are in it because they want to help other people. Um, I was doing psychic readings for 20 years and working with the paranormal before my daughter died. So going deeper into mediumship was a natural progression for me because when she passed, I couldn't reach her. Mm -hmm. And I saw her the day, the morning after. Uh, you know the, the the crisis apparition on the on the edge of the bed, and then that was it. And then I couldn't reach her. And um, I, I later found out that I was in such intense grief; it was blocking that 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 I, that emotion was blocking it because I was just in such intense grief. But I felt I realized that for so many years, what I thought was I'm going on a paranormal investigation or I'm doing a psychic reading for someone. I'm doing mediumship, but I wasn't. I was talking to whatever there was earthbound. I wasn't doing true mediumship. And that led me to going deeper and developing my mediumship more uh -huh. so that I could reach her. And it was a natural. And I find that a lot of mediums became mediums after they suffered a tragic loss of a loved one. And I think... And I hate to uh, um, liken it to a, like a 12-step program, like AA. People who have experienced something want to help other people who are experiencing that. Yeah. If that makes sense. So when you realize that you have that gift and you can reach a loved one, if you can, because it makes a difference to someone, who, the, the worst feeling in the world is to think your loved one is gone. They disappeared. They disappeared. They're gone. I will never see them again. And and that is just that's a dark place to be. And to get that validation that that person is still exists, that that person is still there, that that person is still with you, to get that kind of validation is is miraculous. It's it's very very healing. And that's where wanting to help other people comes in. And and most mediums that I know do it because they are helping other people. And yes, they charge money. 
there are people who charge exorbitant amounts of money, but you know, it's just like when you do a hypnotherapy session, you probably charge for your services too. Of course. Yeah. It's an an exchange, you know, it's an exchange. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's right to charge thousands of dollars for one reading. That's absurd. But what, what I'm saying is most mediums that I know, are genuine and they're doing it because they, they they can tap into it and they can open the door for someone else to be able to get that gift of that message from that loved one. Excellent, makes sense. Which brings me because we're bloody hell, we've gone just over 50 minutes, we've got just under oh. 10 minutes left. Time just excellent, excellent guest. Um, so well, it's kind of devil's advocate, but it's just—it's a viewpoint, it's a thought, and 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 I suppose this could apply to the outright fakes, the deluded people, uh, the genuine people. The, the, to some degree, arguably, this could perhaps apply to the full spectrum. Um, but I'm going to ask your thoughts on this. That. Whether it, the person who's gone to a one-to-one reading or a platform gallery um, demonstration is getting a genuine message or it's someone who is making it up but with psychological techniques that it seems real and seems to hit, there is an argument that as long as it's done with positive intent and by somebody who, who, who kind of knows how to handle people that are, are, are likely at the time you know still suffering grief that it can be a, a massively positive therapeutic closure and um, release of grief to be able to move on getting this apparent communication whether whether it's coming from someone who's doing it through trickery or someone who's doing it genuinely that part aside the actual process um an outcome for the sitter client can actually be genuinely therapeutic there's that argument what what, what, what would you say about that well as, as a medium uh I would say there has to be validation. And I think in most circles, um, and certainly with Spiritualist Church, um, uh, I am, for instance, into the Kardecian spiritism. And there, you know, again, you've got that code of ethics. If you're calling it mediumship, you have to have validation. If there is no validation, if that client walks away, and there's a doubt in their mind that that was a loved one or that was real, then you haven't done your job. I mean, trickery is, you know, you're either doing mediumship or you're not. In other words, you're either giving a message, you know, you may have a positive effect of making that person temporarily feel better, but even people who get um, validation, I got, I got two books worth of validation. I mean, I was very fortunate. The the miraculous, you know, encounters that I had with with my daughter. I mean, even in physical uh, seances, I mean, it was just unbelievable. But I always wanted more, and that loved one always wants more. Okay, so if I, you I, walk away from a session and you don't get that validation, I don't think you got the same effect that if somebody just making calming you down. 
Well, I get I get what you're saying, but in terms of getting the validation, let me throw this one at you. And this is partly devil's advocate, but it, it's also genuine documented fact. In the early 90s, as early as 1991, Psychic News, the international um, spiritualists, it was a newspaper then, it's now a magazine, but it was a newspaper, weekly newspaper for the spiritualism community, declared that a young spirit medium of the time by the name of Alex Leroy, they dubbed him the new Yuri Geller and Doris Stokes rolled into one because he was exceptional with physical mediumship and um, clairvoyance and, and giving people validation. And they ran numerous articles of his public platform demonstrations that they attended. Um giving the most detailed, accurate, ev evidential messages out and people confirming the accuracy, extreme accuracy of them. This is all documented in print. And yet I can categorically tell you that it was pure trickery. I can tell you I can tell you categorically because Alex Leroy is my former stage name and I was filling Northwest Civic Halls and Theatres in the early 90s and being managed by Doris Stoke, one of Doris Stoke's previous staff who taught me the tricks that Doris used to do her performances. And I went out and used the exact tricks that she did and people got the most amazing validation as far as they were concerned. Psychic News dubbed me the real thing in numerous articles. And it was only several years later that I turned around and said, it's all been a sham. I'm stopping doing it. And uh, hey, all this is how I did it. Uh, I, I don't have any answer for that um, because, I mean, you know, kudos to you if you were that good at, at, at shamming someone because I, I think most of the people that are not just to throw in, just to throw this one in, Philip Solomon, the UK medium who I interviewed uh, a number of months back, he, and I have no way of disproving this, his argument was that I was doing it genuinely and just thought I was faking people. Well, I, I would say if you know you're faking people, then you were faking people. I, well, but, I um, thought I was. Yeah, yeah, well, you saying you are, I mean... You know, I, I would say kudos you for you to be able to convince people because, I, I mean, I find it a very tough job to have to validate something. And I find that, I mean, validation comes not just with someone sitting there and going, yes, yes, yes. I mean, most of my validation comes from people who will give me blank stares when I'm giving messages and they have no idea what I'm talking about. But then several days later, they call me and they go, you know what? That fell into place, yeah. You were right. I had a young lady who came to me actually for a psychic reading for her eight-year-old son. And I was doing a psychic fair a few years back. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, now how do you do a reading for an eight-year-old? What am I going to tell the kid? You're going to have fun? You're going to play baseball? It's like, what do, you, what do you tell a kid? What do you tell a child like this? And, and suddenly I'm getting a picture of an older gentleman, a grandfather figure, and I'm seeing him as a sepia photograph, an old photograph faded photograph and he's wearing this he's on a wharf obviously on a wharf he's holding a fish in his hand that was rather large he had boots up to his almost up to his hips and he's laughing in the picture it's, it's a flat photograph one-dimensional photograph and it's like i got nothing for this kid so it's like okay tell the client what you see and i tell the young woman 
what I see. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy. And she says, well, I didn't know my grandfather. And I said, well, he knew you. And I said, I don't know why I'm seeing this. I said, I said, there used to be a place, there was a place called Pontchartrain Beach, and it was a beach amusement park. And I said, there was a big trough there, metal trough, and it had water in it. And little wooden fish would, would swish around in the water, and they had hooks, and the kids would take the little pretend fishing lines, and they'd catch them on the hook, and you'd get a prize. It was called the fishing game. So she's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm saying, I'm just going to give you your money back because I, I got nothing else for you. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't read for your son. You know, and I, I just told him, you'll do good in school this year. You're, you'll be fine. So she left. You know, she, you know, kind of was a little disappointed. Well, about two hours later, she came back to the shop. And she said, I want to see you. And she says, I just want you to know that I asked my mother about the fishing game. And she said, yes, her father used to take her there all the time to, to Pontchartrain Beach. And that was her favorite game. Now, yeah, great validation, right? Not really. Not until three days later when she sent me the photograph that her mother found that was the sepia picture of the guy with the boots, with the fish on the wharf that was identical to what I saw. Can't make it up. Can't make it up. And it was like, yes, that's the man I saw. That's the photograph I saw. She didn't know him. I didn't know him. And where would I have made that up? Where would I have gotten that? I had to come from him. No one else could have gotten that. And then about two weeks later, she sent me another email and another photograph. And she said, my son went to a birthday party. I wanted you to see the favors that they gave the kids. And it was a little toy fishing pole with little plastic fish. And it said the fishing game on it. See, that's validation to me. Now, everybody's got their own way of validating. Some, pe some people are, are, are great mediums and they give you a last name. And I know in, in England, you see a lot of this. They, they, they give you the first name, the last name. They give you the address the person lived at. I, I don't do that. I don't get that. I see pictures. And but I get validation like that. That's so precise that, you know, it's unmistakable. So if you were able to have people walk away and not second guess that, then, you know, kudos for you. But in saying that, I do say that, you know, at least you you pulled away from doing that because I wouldn't want to be that person doing that kind of trickery and have to cross over and answer to those loved ones. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have to face those loved ones. Because there is a responsibility, not only to the sitters, but when when you are a medium, you are a servant of spirit and you have a responsibility to represent that spirit and to do to take the high road at all times. And it's always to, you know, and, and it's to help with the grief of the loved ones. But I've seen many cases where um, there's instances where clearly the session and the message was not only for the sitter, it was for the benefit of the person on the other side who needed to say what they needed to say in order for them to have closure. So it's really this, you know, it's the medium, it's the sitter and it's spirit coming in. So you've got this energy going on that's connecting all three and all three have to benefit from it. And it has to be validation across the board or to me, it's useless. Now, you know, I'm sure not everybody thinks that way, but that's just my opinion. 
And I think anybody who steps into this, that's such a, to me, it's such a sacred thing. You know, someone's grief, their loved ones passing over, you know, this is, this is an area very sacred. And I think that people who defraud it, I would not want to be that person when they cross over and have to face those spirits and explain to them why they gave false messages to their loved ones. Okay. And like I said, that's just me. I don't, I don't know that there's, you know, that would agree with me, but that's just my opinion. Hey, okay. which everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, without a doubt, luckily, it's been amazing. You've been incredibly honest. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so you've much. Been, you've been incredibly patient to butt up with my playing devil's advocate. Yeah, well, that's Thank why you. we're here. It's, it's just, you know, that's why we're here, to, to answer people's questions and to look at both sides of things. For viewers and listeners, you will find below this video or the speaker symbol on your favourite audio podcast platform, you will find various links. Uh, you will find links to Kalila's website. Uh, you will also find links to uh, Amazon because she's got whole bunch of books on there in physical form and kindle book form and you will also find uh links to youtube because there's a whole ton of videos on youtube interviews um television a whole bunch of stuff covering the full spectrum of what kalila does from mediumship psychic stuff the ghost hunting sale tons of stuff for you to find out more about what she does and to be able to contact her get a book and look into it and uh, learn more so uh, thank you so much Kalila it's been an absolute thank pleasure you. and there's going to be some more books coming with Billy Roberts and myself so, so keep an uh, eye out for them as well there'll be that and um, also we I just signed some contracts to put a lot of those videos on a, a Roku channel so if you get Roku channel there's they're also going to be available on Roku and some new shows coming up as well that are going to be on Roku oh cool so keep an eye out for them, viewers and listeners. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Thank you for tuning thank in. Thank you. Please share this around your social medias, everybody, so that everyone else can benefit and learn from it as well. Thank you so much. Bye for now.